Okay, so I have Angela here, Angela Buckley, and I met you, what was it, about a year ago or a year and a half, it's something like that? closer to two years now. Has it? Yeah. Okay, it's been, well, it's been a while, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we met, and we actually, um, we did a speaking um, engagement together, and I got to hear you speak on a topic that you entitled um, Fell Forward, and I loved that title, and I loved your presentation. It um really spoke with me and which I'm sure it has with a lot of people. And I really wanted to bring you on here, especially during this, you know, this pandemic, this crisis that's going on with everyone right now. And everything's kind of up in the air for people and they're not sure where to turn or what to do. I thought this would be a good time to bring you on to kind of talk a little bit about fell forward. Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking about it. I think one of the opportunities that we have in failure is that we can learn. And that's really my focus is how do we learn? How can we pick ourselves up and move forward? And um, that's, I think, even though emotionally it's a challenge, um, it's actually the most exciting part of growing. So we just have to figure out how to frame that for ourselves. And that's what I like to bring people along with. I love that. And I know for me, obviously, I'm, I'm pretty transparent on this podcast and tell about my, you know, numerous um, failures that I've had. I've had great things and I've had, you know, failures like all of us have. And um, I just love the idea that every time that you do have that failure, you have that bump of the road that you fall on your face that, you know, if, as long as you're standing up and you take that step forward, you are in essence failing forward. <laughs> It's, it's exactly right. You know, if you want to kind of tie it back to business practices, we talk about cash turn, right? How often do you turn over your cash? How many sales? I'm going to buy something and sell something and make a little bit of a profit along the way. Failing forward is based on that very same concept. Every single time we fail, we learn a little bit more and we get a little bit better and we improve ourselves and improve really, um, that return on investment. And if you consider that, that failure, that learning opportunity as your investment and you improve that every single time, um, the more often you can accept that as a failure, the more often then you can grow and it can be baby steps. And it's, it's really important to understand the speed of cycle associated with that. So you can think about this even in business terms as we talk about our own personal growth. Yeah. And I know with, with my personal business, well, my personal life too, but my personal business, you know, you put together the plan, you put together, you know, your target, you know, what your product or service you're offering and you, you go out to chase your, you know, your next sale, your next person. And you know, sometimes you figure out, okay, well, there's, there's something not working for some reason it's not clicking. So, you know, for me, I, I would stop if I wasn't getting the type of attention I thought I would get with something, I would stop and say, okay, why is that? And I would further yep. refine it. So I didn't necessarily think of all of those as necessarily like failures, but in some ways they are, it was something that I made that didn't quite run efficiently. So I had to take a step back and say, okay, why? Oh, there it is right there and kind of fix it. It's kind of like with a car or or any type of machine, you know, that, you know, if it's not completely, you know, the nuts and bolts aren't completely tightened up, it's just not going to run efficiently. 
Exactly. So your, your big concept is that um, there's always an opportunity. And I think we're, uh, we're afraid of this word. We make it such a big word, but it really doesn't have to be what you really want to frame it as is as this opportunity to learn. Right. So we can use that acronym of saying first attempt in learning. And that's exactly what we want to take that as, right? It can be big, it can be small, but as soon as we get comfortable with this word, then we get comfortable with the forward part of it. Let's keep moving. I agree. I I know with me, some of my failures were actual failures. It was like, I, you know, I made a business decision. um, Actually, it was the very beginning of 2019 and jumped into a venture that, who burnt me in the butt, burnt me good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have that sometimes. It seemed like a good, you know, opportunity. It seemed like something I wanted to find out more about. And, you know, it, it ended up being a, in hindsight, a terrible, terrible, terrible decision. So at the time, I mean, it was definitely, I would consider a failed, you know, attempt at sure. a business decision. Sure. But now I've learned so much, as, as you know, we all do. I've, there's so many things I learned from that experience that, you know, it made the failure almost worth it. Well, Maria, one of the things that I really appreciate appreciate about your personal brand is this this topic of successfully chaotic, right? Yeah. I think you actually are really an excellent example of what I like to talk about, right? So here I am, creatively efficient. I think this blend is really excellent um, because it's exactly that. I think you are very willing to be transparent. And through your transparency, you're able to help people understand that, hey, I made a bad decision, but what I learned from that is that I will not make that bad decision in the future. Because you're transparent, because you're willing to take the time and reflect on it, and that's one of the things that I talk about, the importance of reflection in the recovery process, um, that you can learn from it and move forward and not make that mistake again. So it's not truly a problem until you continually repeat exactly. the same issue, yeah. right? Well, that's like that. It's like that saying that, you know, the definition of, you know, mental illness is doing the exact same thing, the exact same way and expecting different outcomes, you know? Exactly. And it's, you know, that's the thing. I think a lot of, I guess, probably the percentages of failures would be greatly dependent on somebody's personality, I would argue in some ways, because like with, for me, myself, I'm a jumper, you know, I, I'm willing (laughs) to take risks. I'm, you know, I'm a risk taker. I am. And I know this, I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie in my personal life and I'm an adrenaline junkie in my business life. It's like, okay, that seems like, I mean, I'm a hesitant jumper now because I've been burnt, but I'm still a jumper. It seems like, okay, well, you know, as long as I'm not risking what I can't afford to lose, Mm-hmm. I'll take that risk. You know, I'm a risk taker, but then you have somebody with another personality. You know, I've got a friend that I'm using as an example here and she's not, you know, she'll have something that's completely amazing and ready to throw out there or a great opportunity. And she think, 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 thinks and thinks about it until it's not an opportunity anymore because she's so afraid to go and throw it out there. Sure. So, I mean, I think, you know, obviously I've had more quote unquote failures you know, because i <laughs> Had that many. And it's not that one is necessarily better than the other. It's not. It just, I think that shows the differences in personalities that I don't get as scarred from my failures, probably because I've had like a bajillion of them at this point. But, um, you know, some of them have hurt more than others, but all in all, I'm able to take a step back and 
like you said, reflect and say, okay, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done it like this. Next time, if I get presented with that opportunity, I'm going to ask this question or, you know, it, it gives me a new list of kind of demands for lack of a better word. Well, it's, it's true. And one of the things that we like to talk about specifically now during this pandemic era is that learning how to recover is actually even good for our immune system. So when we start reframing, naming and reframing our problems um, and identifying that as a lesson, then it is the first step towards recovery. And we know that action, we talk about the, the motion being the um, fountain of youth these days, right? Oh, mm-hmm. Fitness people. Um, but it's not, it's not dissimilar to our emotional status and that reflects in our health, our physical health as well. And right now we are all trying to keep ourselves healthy. So understanding these concepts, not just only for our business, but also for our physical well-being, it's an important concept. Oh, I I agree 100%. And I think all too often we try to keep those separate. It's, you know, my, my personal life and my physical well-being is completely separate from my business, but in reality, they blend, you know, there's no way to completely peel apart the layers, not completely. So they, you know, they, they kind of like blend into each other. If you, if you're not feeling well, it's obviously going to affect your work. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yep. And productivity, right? Like we understand we can go and even look, there's, there's metrics um, available to us on the government websites associated with reduced productivity as a result of illness. Yep. Um, As a result of, yeah. And even just not, even if it's not like necessarily illness, but maybe they're not staying physically active because you brought up, you know, physical activity, which I, as you know, I'm I'm, I'm a big pusher in because if you don't feel good, even if you're not sick, but if you don't feel good, you're not going to be at your best. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, We know that we can recently, our manufacturing has been reduced by 40%. And in areas where we are doing that intentionally, though, to keep our people safe, because China came to a complete crawl as a result of illness. So understanding how that is and how we can behave to keep ourselves healthy, in addition to all of the other things, it plays out in the bottom line. I agree. And, you know, stress, I think people over look just, I mean, we know stress is bad for us, but I think they overlook just how damaging it is because, you know, if we sit and just stress out about things that we can't change or stress out about, well, like during the pandemic, there's only so many things we can do. We can do the things that we're supposed to do and we're advised to do to try to keep ourselves healthy and those around us. But, you know, we can't change it. We can't make it go away. We can't, you know, I wish it was like the I dream of Jeannie where you twinkle the nose and you know, boom, it's gone, but we can't. So no, we, there's no point in stressing over things that we can't do. We just take the step to do the things that we can do. And the same can be said for like in our business, in our business, if we, you know, make that decision, try to make that deal that for whatever reason doesn't work out and, you know, you've failed, you know, or Mm -hmm. you've lost money or you've lost the contract or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, it doesn't do any good to sit and stress about, well, if I would have, if I could have, if I should have, you know, that doesn't do any good. It's okay. What happened? Why did it happen? And how can I make sure that I learn from this that it doesn't happen again? Well, you're right. Absolutely. And one of the things that um, I recommend also is learning how to ask for help. And I'm going to just raise my hand right here and say, I'm guilty. I am not very good at asking for help. But through all of these things, yeah, that's, through that's, this a, that's, pandemic, a, 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that goes back to personality too, really a lot that's, of times because I have always been, you know, the go-getter, I can do this, I got this. And most mm-hmm. of the time I do, but right. we can't always be everything to everyone all the time. I mean, it just, it doesn't yep. work. And once you start to add other things in a family and, you know, other, another business or, you know, whatever it may be, that just kind of adds to the list of our responsibilities. And we only have so many hours in a day. And back, you know, to the stress thing is if we're taking on more than we can do and not asking for help, we're asked, we're just putting so much stress on ourselves. And I, I'm raising my hand on that one too, because I'll do it. And then I, I get to the point now where I, I catch myself. I'm like, ah, you're doing it again. <laughs> you know? Right. You're doing it again. And then I'll have to say, okay, what is it that I definitely have to do myself? And that, and what's something else that I can kind of hand off because, you know, it's, it's hard when you know, you know, what needs to be done, you know, the way that you want it to be done. It's hard to go ahead and give that trust up, especially when within your own business, because, you know, your business is like a child, really. It I is. Mean, my, it's your baby. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and it's really hard to just leave your baby with a stranger. You know, it's really hard to just leave them with a new <laughs> sitter, you know, so it's, you know, it's understandable that business owners have that feeling, but I think it's, it's a good idea to at least start to try to trust or start to try to have some conversations with some people that you may start to trust with this, that, or the other. Right. Yeah. So learning how, you know, first identifying, articulating um, what your problem is and then being able to ask for help, even if it means you're exploring. I think also as a small business owner, it's more difficult for me to ask for quotes and explore with different people before I jump in with my contracts. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, I have no problem with doing that when I'm working for a fortune 500 company. Um, I have plenty of time and I feel like when I'm a small business owner, I have less time and therefore I, I don't do as much due diligence, but the risk that I run as a result of that is that I may not be optimizing the help that I'm receiving. And I would agree. And I think that goes, but we just re- recorded an episode. Um, uh, I had an air jet, but I think it was last week that that'll be airing soon that we talked about, you know, I actually it might have aired today anyway, doesn't matter. But um, it was, you know, how to stop wearing too many hats and being everything to everybody. And yes, you know, I can't speak from a male standpoint because I've never been a man before, but I know as women, it seems to be also common that you know, we automatically wear a lot of hats, you know, a lot of us are wives and mothers and, you know, sisters and daughters and, you know, whatever. And then within our business, you know, especially if we're a small business, like you said, you know, we are, you know, the owner and we're also a lot of times early on the marketer and, you know, the everything because, you know, early on, it just doesn't have that capital to bring those people in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if we can start to get to that point to, to offset some of those things and, and, you know, delegate some of those things to other people that would be able to free us up. But it's, it's kind of like being stuck between a rock and a hard place. Cause with a lot of small businesses, they're not to the capital, you know, to be able to do so, but yet they need to be able to release that time to be able to make, you know, more calculated decisions. So they're kind of in that limbo. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it, it, it's exactly where we are with these things. So, yeah. So how do we figure it out? How now, how can you explain to us kind of a little bit about, you know, I know your story, but a little bit about your background and, you know, what, what you do and how creatively efficient came into existence? Sure. Um, you know, I, I came out of high school starting off in engineering and 
I love engineering and I love helping people. And so how do you kind of blend that together? And throughout the years, again, pulling on my years of manufacturing experience and working for Fortune 500 companies internationally, um, my focus has really become how do you drive the inefficiencies out of systems while still maximizing the human component? So um, my early years were very much hardcore and technical. And more recently, after 20, 25 years of working through in the industry, um, my focus is a lot more about creating systems that work for the human. Um, and I, be I believe actually that Demings, right? So we talk about him as sort of the father of the TPS and the lean manufacturing systems. He really wanted to focus on the human element and we have not a done a great job of adapting that in the, mid in the West, um, Western cultures in general. But it, it's really important to me that we focus on manufacturing in a manner that really helps um, helps the people be successful within a system, not making you a robot, but understanding that humans didn't, they show up to use their creativity and to contribute to an organization. And we need to value the, the humanness within the system. Absolutely. And I know for anybody that kind of follows any of the stuff that I do, I mean, just the, the human aspect and the story aspect and the why of whatever it is, fill in the blank, I think is the most important thing because every decision that we make, every thought we think, you know, everything that we do, it always goes back to those core reasons, the why, you know, the story, you know, all of the things that kind of make us human. Right, right, exactly. So, um, yeah, so right now I help people with their leadership development programs. I help people with their onboarding and I'm working more towards um, interactive digital onboarding systems, especially now with this COVID, you can't be face-to-face -face for a lot of this. So how do you really, what's the learning theory for adults? So that's mm -hmm. where I focus on finishing my PhD here this year. Um, and congratulations on that. <laughs> thank you. Um, but really, identifying what those lessons are, what's, what's the way to maximize your learning journey so that, um, yeah, again, the humanness remains within a system, maximize that, your profits. And that probably is more of a challenge right now because like you said, with everything going on, you don't have that face-to-face -face interaction, which makes it one step back. Yes. Yep. So, it's a challenge. No doubt about it. People are tired. Um, you're interacting with a computer, even when you're face to face, I think your eyes are getting tired. You, it's difficult to read the body language. Mm -hmm. Um, so no doubt about it. It's really important to unplug and reflect and maybe even occasionally go back to reading a hard print book. I don't do that as much anymore, right? I try to really focus on reading digital so I don't have trees being printed and caught and everything, but it's important to take some time and be outside and be a part of that and learning, learning from nature as well. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, there's nothing that resets me like being outside. I, I can breathe deeper. Mm -hmm. I can think more clearly. Um, and maybe, maybe some people don't realize how much they would love outdoors. You know, maybe they're not kind of like me, like the kayak and hike and all that stuff, but even just go sit outside, just go sit, you know, outside and just, 
just breathe and like be near something green. I, I've always liked it. You know, if you live in the middle city, that's fine. Get you a, a potted plant, but you know, sit by something green because it's just, there's something about that energy. It's, it's not just something about that energy. They have done research that um, you will, your cortisol levels, right? Your stress hormone levels will drop after 20 minutes of just looking at green and, and literally looking at natural green. Yeah. So to your point, the, if you can't get to a park for 20 minutes in a day, um, you need to have plants around you. You need to conscientiously figure out how you're going to bring nature into your life in order to counteract some of the stresses that are going on. So um, the Japanese have a saying that says, people need to have 20 minutes of nature a day. Busy people need an hour. Yeah, I agree. So if not more. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know that. I mean, I have plants. Like I'm, I'm like literally the crazy plant lady. My house mm-hmm. is completely full of plants. I just, I yep. a plant lover. Um, I love outdoors. And when I'm not outdoors, I want some outdoors in with me. And, you know, I joke every time I bring home a new plant, which is pretty much every time I find a new plant, I'm walking in, my husband's like, Ugh, you know, and I'm like, listen, I could have a worse problem. I could be on drugs. I could be, you know, all kinds of things. So what kind of plants is, are those, Maria? Oh, they're all kinds. I could, I will share some pictures with you. I have all kinds of plants. I am I a would plant love, lover. We, yeah. we do a vegetable garden and yep. my husband, so I grew up on a farm. I started, it's always been a part of me and my husband has not. And this year is the first year he's really had a successful vegetable garden And he said to me as walking through the house, he's like, it's always been a dream. Like he just kind of whispered it. Like he finally got it. And it's really, um, you know, like tears of joy to hear him say that, that he got this little dream that he had the dream. I never knew. It's not like one of those dating conversations, Yeah, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and now we have this little vegetable garden and I guess, I don't know. He was surprised. I'm like, well, you have to clip this and you have to do that. And it'll grow more robust if you put these two together. And he's like, why do you know these things? I'm like, uh, have you seen my bookshelf or the plants in the house? (laughs) Like just years of you accumulate a bit of knowledge, right? Well, and that's, that's how it goes. It's like, you know, you, you tend to want to soak in more things that you're passionate about. And, you know, we all are multifaceted. Like I was talking about earlier, like it's really hard to completely separate our layers. So sometimes they just bleed into each other. And it's funny because even in, you know, meetings where I'm sitting in a corporate office and we're having a business discussion and, you know, they'll have a plant over there. I'll be like, oh, that's a, you know, at one time it was a dragon plant. Oh, that's a dragon plant. They're like, oh, that's what that's called. I just love that plant. I didn't know these conversations, you know, and it's, it's just so funny that we try to keep those layers apart because we think that that's better. But, and I used to be that person. I used to be that person that felt like, well, I have to keep, you know, business Maria over here. And then, you know, hippie barefooted plant lover Maria right here. (laughs) And, you know, I felt like I had to keep these separate entities, which honestly was exhausting. It was exhausting. It is, you know, and just one day I didn't care anymore. And I, you know, it was just, you know, I had a really bad year and I, just mentally couldn't care anymore. And then I started figuring out, okay, this is kind of (laughs) nice. You know, I'm not having to keep my separate compartments anymore. I'm just who I am. And you'll love the fact that I also have this side of me or you'll hate it. And that's fine too, you know, but I am who I am. And, you know, that took a while because that was something that was kind of ingrained into me, even from childhood that, 
you know, you put your best foot forward, which is fine, but we took it kind of a step beyond where, you know, I, the way that I was raised is you had to pretend to be perfect all the time because, you know, I was raised in a strict Baptist family that, you know, my grandpa was a Baptist pastor and, you know, people talk. That's why we like each other so well. (laughs) My grandpa is a Lutheran pastor. Okay. Well, there you go. Then you understand. (laughs) I do. And yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult when you're growing up in the eyes of everybody else and it's easily, you're easily judged. Your role when you're out in public is to frankly represent his brand. Let's be honest, right? Like a pastor has a brand and, um, there was definitely a role, especially as a female. I was mm-hmm. told very specifically what the role of a female was. Absolutely. Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I don't fill that role particularly well today. And it did change, I will say, in fairness to my grandpa. Mm-hmm. It did change from the time that I was in eighth grade to the time that his daughter became the vice president of a regional bank, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, thankfully... But um, I, it was very clear what I was supposed to be doing. And so, yeah, learning how to break some of those shackles of and, and not allowing other people's judgments um, frame who you are. It, it's actually for me, if we're going to go down the religious route, I think it's more authentic to be me and still be a moral person and a spiritual person, but to be me right? And not be what society dictates. Um, so to those complex layers. Yeah. Oh, I learned something about you. So, yeah. So uh, back to the layers, the layers, we all have got them and, you know, anything that we experience or how we were raised or, you know, things that go on our life, obviously shapes a piece of this. It kind of, you know, molds it a little more and it's, and it's really hard um, with some things, especially if it's stuff that's like goes on through your entire life or maybe something traumatic or whatever it may be, you know, it's very hard to kind of get out of that mindset of, you know, I still like, I'll still catch myself, you know, thinking something the way that I was taught. And it's not that everything that I was taught was, you know, bad or wrong or whatever, but you know, I, I have to sit and think now, okay, is that authentically my thought? <laughs> you know? Right. Or is that something that I was kind of told that I have to think or told that I need to be? And, you know, a lot of the stuff I think um, was maybe generational. Yes, of course. Into it. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think because even, you know, you know, obviously a lot of my family are still Baptist. And I consider myself non-denominational, but um, a lot of my family still are Baptist. And, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that they do is completely different than what you know, we did then. So obviously some of that's changed through the, through the years, but like you said, with your, with your family, but I think that it still kind of was ingrained in my mind, you know, women are supposed to do this and, you know, women are not supposed to do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to, you know, be the primary caregiver and I'm supposed to be, you know, and then that's fine if that's how it yes. works out in the family, you know what I mean? That's fine if that's how it works on the family, but I don't think in my belief system, I don't think that that's necessarily how it always is. You know, if the, if, you know, whoever wants to stay at home and be the primary caregiver should be able to do that, you know? <laughs> well, right now with the pandemic, you don't get to choose no. because I'm working every day in an office yep. and my husband is forced to stay home and they will not be going back to their office jobs maybe until August at the earliest. And I think that may not even happen at this point with the rising numbers. So 
guess what? He's in charge of food. I have a commute. I have, you know, like he's, he's got the garden we've already established and he's home with the child. And you know what? He, he doesn't have a choice. He must be the primary caregiver at this moment in our lives. Is that something he signed up for? He's definitely always wanted to be a co-provider. He's never just handed that off to me. Yeah. But, um, right now, sometimes you just step up to the plate. And I think that's part of it. That's part of being an adult. That's part of being a parent. You know, that's part of being a business owner. If it becomes time to step up the plate in that area. I think that, you know, it's not only within religious views and stuff that, you know, we end up with those stereotypes, but I think it's just society sometimes as a whole that, you know, sometimes we forget that there's still those stereotypes that exist. And I was having this discussion with a male member of my family and I'll be nice and not mention his name, but um, just the other day about this, that, you know, he doesn't think there's still inequality for women. And I'm oh, like, yes. well, I was like, it's really nice that you think that as n- not being a woman, but there still is. Is it better yeah. than it used to be? It's absolutely better than it used to be. Absolutely better than it used to be. But is it all the way there? It's, uh, it's not. And I can give you a thousand examples. I know when I was having to travel some for work, you know, I would get all kinds of slack. Now, granted, my husband also travels. He'll, he travels. Right. When right. he travels, it's, oh, he's such a good provider. When I would travel, the comment I would get, well, what about the kids? I, you know, who's going to watch the kids? Word. Yep. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I don't know their father. <laughs> you know? yep. Yep. I, it's just, it's, it's not, oh, she's a, you know, a good provider or a hard worker. It's, oh, those poor kids. Oh, that poor man. You know, or, you know, how are you able to do this? You know, what, what about the kids? Well, they have a dad. You know, yes. he was 100% yep. capable of taking care of them, you know, right. and it's, it's, those are some of the stereotypes that, you know, is definitely something that you still run into. It's, it's something that I think that I don't see it going away anytime soon because it's so ingrained into our minds that the women are the, the primary caregivers all the time, 100% of the time, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And I mean, I love my husband. He's a good dad and he, he does well. Now, do I think it's 100% 50, 50? It's absolutely not. And it's, you know, he was raised a farm boy. He was raised where it was definitely the female male traditional roles in the family. And so there's some of the things that I've had to kind of, which I was too. I mean, my mom cut my dad's meat up for him. I mean, that's the level that we were at. So, I mean, it's not that I wasn't, you know, but only that, that actually just furthered who I didn't want to be. But early on in my, my, well, my first marriage, I, I did, I was that person because I thought I had to be, I didn't even think it was yeah. an option. You know, right. you just automatically like transfer over to start doing that stuff sure. until I had enough of it one day, you know, and I think that, you know, those are stereotypes. I think that still are kind of in existence now. And I'm sure you see that working in manufacturing just some of the stereotypes between, you know, feminine roles and such. Well, I, I would say that um, recently I have landed in a reasonable organization with that regard. Definitely um, in headquarters and corporate, it's significantly more balanced. Um, as you get closer to the shop floor, it definitely, uh, the stereotypes, um, yeah, people have been working there for 40 years, which means that they're 60 and 70 years old that are still working there. And um, those stereotypes are associated definitely generationally as well. So um, 
we, we definitely see it. And I see it still more here in the United States than I do when I travel internationally, when I walk around with the degrees and the background, the experiences I've had, the respect comes more naturally and easily in Europe than it does here in the U.S. Really? So, yeah, we are, we have not made the same gains in the United States as we've made internationally as women. Do you think that that is, um, do you think that changes between maybe the Midwestern states and the you know, the southern states, do you think that, I mean, do you travel throughout the U.S. enough where you have noticed a difference there or? Um, uh, my short answer is no, I have not traveled. Most of the work that I've done in the United States has been in the Midwest. Okay. I have also been in the South. I'll say that it was no better in the South in a manufacturing setting for me. Um, my interactions with the East Coast has always been on a professional, not the manufacturing level and the professional level. It felt more balanced, but yeah. it's hard. Those are two very different industries. So it's hard to compare that then as well. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, my, um, my husband is blue collar. You know, he's blue collar. He's, yep. he's a lineman. Um, and my dad was a lineman. But and he's, a skill, he's skilled. He is, he is a skilled. skilled he is, he's like, skilled. Yeah. That's, he, a, that's a difficult job to learn and attain. And it's not just to say sometimes I, I say right now with air quotes, blue collar, there's definitely oh, unskilled labor and there's definitely semi-skilled and then skilled labor. He's, he's clearly a skilled laborer. Oh, he definitely is. And I'm, I'm a big, a big pusher in the fact that you know, I actually kind of, I hate the term blue collar, white collar, but I mean, it's terms that people use. So I use them some just to explain, but you know, I mean, he, it's funny how, again, there is stereotypes that exist in with me, if I'm in the business world and I'm there for my business meeting and I'm not like for a wellness or some other business thing, but you know, people ask what my husband does and I'm like, well, he's a lineman. And they're like, what's a lineman, you know? And I'm like, well, he works on power lines. And it's, yeah. they automatically assume my husband's like a CEO of something or an attorney or whatever. And I was like, no, he was pre-law for a while and he hated it and decided to become a lineman, you know? And I think that they're, it's starting to get a little better with the trades and people don't kind of look down on it, but it's still a little bit there. It's still automatically assumed that they're less educated, that they're, not as smart that they, well, you remember when, when we were in school and it was like, you either had the college path if you were smart. And then if you weren't smart, then you went into the trades. (laughs) Right. So, um, you know, I, I sit on an international exam board for skilled trades, um, for mechatronics and for the state of Ohio and shout out to jobs, Ohio, and all of the programs that Ohio has really, really been working very hard to put together And not just put together, because I've now been working with three or four different companies on their apprenticeship programs, because there is value, there is a significant value. Again, back to my learning background, not everybody learns in the same way, and nor should everybody have to go into debt in order to get a job. Absolutely. Um, And the Skilled Trades Apprenticeship Program is an excellent path. The problem that we have had over and over again is that the parents have been fed for decades that the only way to get a secure job is to get a college degree. Yeah, which it's, it's hysterical if you think about it, really, because it's the trades that are secure. Like my husband, he didn't he didn't lose any work time during all COVID. COVID. No, not at all. I mean, and th- that's the thing. Like, 
he's actually, and he shared this with me because, you know, he's told me, he said, you know, they've, they've been out on storm, you know, cause he gets called to storm and travels sure. all over the place. They get caught on storm and, you know, they work 16 hour days and they'll stop and they'll go to eat somewhere and they walk in and they're sweaty and dirty and they're just starving to death. So they get food and people are like staring at them. Like, yeah. they, they, you know, and what they don't realize is, you know, they look at them and try to talk to them like they can't afford anything or, you know, all the stuff. And he's like, I make six figures. He said, right. you know, he may, they don't realize the type of, money that they make it's you know they're they're making very even their apprentices make pretty decent money right. um, you know I was even talking to my son about that he's 18 he just graduated so you know he got to go through the COVID graduation and oh. you know I said you ought to sign the books and I said you know he's wanted to be a physical therapist but college is kind of weird right now too yeah so you ought to sign the books and you know go into the apprenticeship program doesn't mean you have to do it forever but think about it instead of going to work in a Kroger or McDonald's or some of these teenage jobs you could be actually paying your way through school and not having to get into loan debt. You know, it's fine if you want to be a physical therapist. That's fine. It's a doctorate degree. I mean, so you're talking lots and lots and lots of money. So, you know, it'd be a lot more intelligent to go get a good paying job and you'd have a skill to fall back on too. Well, and many of these companies will actually finance your bachelor degree. Mm -hmm. So if you get to a certain point and you're a skilled trades, that's already an associate degree. So you're halfway there. Generally, by the time you have your skilled trades, that's all been paid for. Some of the companies, it depends on where you land, of course, and what type of skilled trades you're looking at, but mm -hmm. they'll pay for the next part of it to a bachelor's. Now, the people aren't going to ante up the money for oh, the yeah. master's and the doctorate. Yeah. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But still, but it's still huge. And you're making you, money at the same time. Right. And you're not living with mom and dad. Yep. Well, and that's <laughs> my goal is to have an 18 year old prepared to enter the world as a community citizen. Yeah. Right. That's my goal as a parent. And as a business owner, I see this as a very important skill set of looking someone in the eye, shaking the hands, being responsible. I'm sorry. You must get up every morning. Yep. Yeah. Yes, you do actually have to get up. You don't want to kind of don't care. Yeah. Like that's business. Yeah. And, and that is a chore of itself. Trust me. We're kind of going through that a little bit right now too. And the chores, why do I have to do chores? It's not my house. Well, you're living here. <laughs> so it is your house <laughs> you know, type of thing. 15 year olds are fun. <laughs> uh, well, my favorite phrase right now is I am not your maid. Yep. Oh yeah. I'm not your maid. I am not yep. your maid. I probably say that 10 times before I even get to the top of the stairs. <laughs> I've done that too. I've, I'm your mother. I'm not your maid. That's what I say. I'm your mother. I'm not yes. your maid. Yep. You know, will I do things for you when I choose to? Absolutely. But I'm, I'm, you know, it's, I'm not here to clean up after you and be on your beck and call. You're not in it. Yeah, that we've had those fun discussions too. And I think, you know, I think that I, again, you know, I fell, I fell forward in my parenting too. I've got, you know, I've got a 21 year old. Um, I've got all the way down to a three year old. So it's funny because some of the stuff that I do and say now, um, I've, I've got more strict on some things and I've got less strict on other things. And my oldest daughter, the 21 year old will say, well, you wouldn't have allowed that. I'm like, I figured out that that doesn't even matter. You know, that's not the it, thing that I'm worried about. It's this over here. You know, you were guinea pig child. I didn't know what I was doing. You know? <laughs> well, but so. also in fairness, like your children are different. So oh, they are so different. So. I only have one, but my mom had four. And when I reflect on her parenting for each one of us, it was different because all four of us are very different people. And so I think that's another business lesson that we learn as leaders, as, as parents, is mm -hmm. that we have to 
fail forward in our learning because it is constantly a shifting sea, right? Absolutely. What they want and what they need and even frankly, what's expected of them as they grow changes. And so our parenting by default must change. And even with what's going on in society, because I mean, we're looking at homeschooling this fall, which I homeschooled for two and a half years back years ago. Um, And I was, I thought I was done with homeschooling. I mean, it's not that it was bad. It just at that point wasn't fitting in my life. And so, you know, they went back to a school and now with all the stuff that's going on, it's kind of like, okay, well here we're back with probably homeschooling, which I've only got three in school this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I have three that's graduated and I have one that's too young to go to school. So the 15 year old, I'm leaving it up to her if she wants to go back within the stipulations and the rules. But, you know, the 11 year old is autistic. He's high functioning, but he's not going to do well with a mask on his face. He, he kind of has panic attacks, even if he's got like a stuffy nose or anything, like he thinks he can't breathe. Mm-hmm. So that is not going to be a go. And um, the seven year old probably will not, you know, do well with his brother not there. So it's kind of like one of those things you have to change your decisions and change what you're going to do, even with, you know, what's going on in society, because, you know, absolutely, if we go somewhere where they need to wear a mask, we make the decision, is it worth what's going to go on (laughs) for us to go or not? But with school, it'd be every single day. So I just don't think I can do that. Um, and I, I think it would have a negative impact on their education, not a positive one. And I know every family is going to have that different decision, but that's kind of where we're sitting right now. Those, those are going to be completely personal decisions. Mm-hmm. We're, we're lucky. Again, we have one. My husband will be working from home. As long as they're working from, as long as the schools are home, he'll be home. Yeah. So, you know, at least I don't have a child sitting here trying to burn down the house or something. But, exactly. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said for the stimulation of face-to-face, right? Mm-hmm. Back to the conversation exactly. earlier of just getting everything online. And these poor teachers, I have to say, I feel sorry for them. Oh, I do too. Um, you know, they had like exactly 36 hours to get their entire lesson plans yep. online with yep. zero coaching, limited resources, you know. I don't know how they the did worry, <laughs> The worry, well, some did better than others. But the worry as well, um, not everyone has internet access. So mm-hmm. even as a student in our household, we have good internet access. We're, we're lucky. We live in a good area. We have a house where each one of us can have our space. But if all three of us try to have a conference call at the same time, that's mm-hmm. a lot of bandwidth. Yeah. And there's only three of us. And what do you do when you have a household of five? Yeah. Working well, from home, schooling from home. It's a lot of internet bandwidth. We went in, we ran into that problem. I mean, that's, I have, I had, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five needing to use internet when we live in a rural area. So our internet yes. is terrible. And, um, it, we had, and then I was trying to work. So I ended up having to get a, you know, hotspot device to run, you know, my, my laptop off of so I could work. And then I would have to get on there and work with the teachers to say, they're not going to be able to get on to every single live. It's being scheduled right. at the same time. Right. You know, but we're going to have to like schedule it in to be able to do it. It's just, yeah, it was, it was a challenge all across the board on both sides. And I'm curious to see how it goes in the fall. And I think that's why, again, I agree it's a personal decision and I wouldn't blame anybody for whatever decision they make. But I think for us personally, I think we've decided that, you know, we're leaving it up to the 15 year old because she's old enough to kind of decide, but I think we're going to keep the two boys and homeschool them. But I mean, and then that just shows you, I mean, that was not my plan for 2020. I mean, nobody 
nobody's planned anything. I think that's going on in 2020. Let me me review. (laughs) I I did see a meme on the internet that made me chuckle recently. You know, the interview question of where do you see yourself in five years? (laughs) Yeah. Someone wrote, we all got that answer wrong. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of, and that's how it is. It's, and that makes it, it makes it okay for me personally. It's, there's two areas. Number one, you know, the researcher in me is like, okay, what does this look like? You know, what are we going to say 10 years from now as we look back to 2020 and kind of reflect on what all went on? And because really this is such a learning year for so many things, Mm -hmm. but we're so kind of in the middle of it right now. We don't see that yet, but you know, I have thought about that. Like, you know, every single industry has, is going to have 2020 to look back on and to be able to make lots of future decisions for, because there was so many things that just, that happened that showed that there was gaps here, gaps there, stuff that they didn't even realize existed. Mm -hmm. And some of them couldn't have been helped, but there's some of them, if there would have been, you know, kind of a plan in place, like, you know, I mean, I don't know that you can necessarily have like a pandemic plan, but you can have a you can't come to work for whatever plan, you know, some type of plan in place to be able to make it to where it's not such, well, it's not having to do lesson plans in 36 hours. You know what I mean? It's true. Yeah. So, I mean, hospitals in fact do have pandemic plans and many world countries do in fact have pandemic plans. Um, Do they for regular businesses too? Businesses do not. I was just going to say businesses in general do not. It, the, the, um, but there's actually even a division of the military that plans for um, pandemics, like what their response would be, depending on the type of emergencies. So um, there's actually a degree field that studies that. I oh, only wow. know this because I have a girlfriend who has a degree in one of one of the emergency scenarios. Hmm. Um, so it it is an area of study, but it's it it's all based on policies and who is going to be investing that type of research. So, um, you know, and that it's not really well funded. So then it doesn't get well researched, right? Like that's, that's the story that we all know if there's not some money in it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately what we're talking about is risk planning and risk avoidance. And it is often hard to invest in risk avoidance until the risk has actually occurred once. Yes. Because you just, even though you can see the potential and sound the alarm, it's just an alarm until it actually happens. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that, well, I know with me, with my personal business, even though we really haven't, you know, with, with, with us doing like a lot of digital things, we haven't really hit a lull in the business, but it has taught me a lot about, um, what I can do without, you know, within yes. my business, I was doing so many things that I thought yep. I just had to do. and was so important. I had to be there and I had to do this. I had to do that. And what's hysterical is I haven't been able to do that, but my numbers, um, didn't go down. So was that really time well spent? <laughs> you know? Congratulations. But yeah. actually that is an active conversation that we have. Is this a want or a need? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the want is important because when you have that conversation of, Am I satisfying the customer or am I delighting the customer? Yeah. Um, I think some of those wants are the delighting, but also back to our very beginning, you know, some of the wants is just what makes me authentic. 
Yes. I'm going to bring this, I'm going to bring this into my day. Is it a little bit more work than the next person? Yes. But I want to take pride in my work and I want to deliver a product of excellence. And so for me, maybe it is not a need, but it is definitely a want because that's how I grade myself. And I 100% agree. I mean, I think you should always give that little extra, but I do think that you need to figure out, is it something that I'm doing that is part of my authenticity? Is it part of who I am as a person or am I doing it just to play sate? Because I do think that there were some things I was doing because it's who I am. You know, I'm a, you know, at the very core of myself and I Uh say this all the time, I'm a helper and I'm a giver. I am, that's who I am. But you know, there's a certain level where, you know, am I giving just because I want somebody to like me or to think I'm worth it or, you know, all these things that we do if we're trying to fulfill something within us or am I doing it because it really adds to the value that it really gives my own personal signature on it, you know, and I think there was, I was doing some of both and I didn't even realize it. Like I've, you know, I've slowly refined as we all do, you know, over the the years and the months and even the days, I feel like I refine myself every day. Like we all do. And, you know, some of the things I feel that it was very much part of my authenticity and part of, you know, who I was. And I wanted to give that extra because that's who I am as a person. And there's some of it that it was like, I felt like I wasn't worthy on some levels. So I had to do it just so I could prove that I was, you know, and it's silly, really. It is silly, silly, really. But um, one of the things that you can do is talk, look at your product and truly get clarity for what the customer is expecting. Mm -hmm. Because anything that you're doing that the customer is not paying for is a waste in your business, which means that you could be spending that time elsewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. So getting clarity on, on the needs of the customer is really, really an important way to avoid this kind of a waste. Now, I know we talked on the phone, I think it was last week, and you mentioned that you were working on some type of project. Um, can you share a little bit about that? Or um, Yeah. So really, I'm focusing on a leadership series called Strength in Nature. And so thanks for asking about it. It's the first segment is ready to be released here in the next week or two. And that first step is going to be on values articulation. So to your point, like what makes Maria authentic? Can you name the values that you want to be taking action on and, and working towards both in your business as well as in your personal life? The reason that this is so important, especially in these times of crisis, is that it helps us press pause and respond to a situation instead of reacting to a situation, right? When we react to something, it's all based on our emotions. I know that as entrepreneurs, and I'm going to say women again, I'm not a man, so I can't say from a man's standpoint, but, and as women wearing so many hats, I think a lot of times we end up reacting because we are wearing all those hats. We're so busy. There's only so many hours in the day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is why it makes it so important to peel back the things and ask yourself, are you satisfying or delighting? Like you mentioned, and because that time that you're just going ahead and doing something because you feel like you should, you should, 
and it's not because you want to or you need to or whatever is time that could be spent on doing something else or further refining and making conscious decisions instead of just reacting. Exactly. Yep. So um, it's called the Strength in Nature series, and we're working on identifying exactly what those technical skills are that you need and the soft skills. So really to be a strong leader, you need to understand your competencies both on the technical side as well as on the soft side. So, um, and I love that. I love the name. I love the name strength in nature, which like I said, I'm outdoorsy. So I would love that. But yeah, I mean, I love, I love the idea of values articulation because, you know, we've said it a couple of times in this, in this episode, but you're, we're all layered. We're so layered that, you have to look at the personal side as well mm-hmm. as the business side. If, you know, you can go to as many business, you know, trainings and whatever as you want to, or you can go to as many personal development trainings as you want to. But if you're not somehow commingling them and figuring out, you know, what is it that you're doing on, you know, this side that's affecting this side and vice versa, you're always going to be hitting a dead end somewhere. Right. Exactly. So, Yeah, it's actually been a really fun um, experience putting it all together and to your point, continually refining it. So um, I'm excited to see it. Well, if whenever you get any information um, or you can get it to me, I'll put it in the details of the episode. I'll link or. Sure, sure. Excellent. I'll be glad to do that. Thank you. Great. So that way, any of our listeners, if you're interested in um, learning more about strength in nature you know, emphasis on nature. Are you going to be doing anything outside? I'm just curious about the nature part now. (laughs) Oh, um, so yes, the goal is that we host four leadership workshops a year and it would be kind of weekend workshops. Right. Um, but the, the kickoff part of it, I would like to have an online component, of course. Oh, of course. I think that's very much necessary in our current, current situation. But um, also doing sl- small group masterclass weekend type events as well, where we're really working through that values articulation on a Saturday morning. We're going to talk about those technical skills on um, Saturday afternoon and make sure that we're doing some of the outdoor activities where we're really practicing that as well. Because yeah. I think an important part of leadership development is also that reflection. So making sure that we do spend some time outdoors and doing some of the experiences, leadership experiences where you can build and tie it back to your everyday life, right? I think this is an important transition. It's, we want to be outside, but we also need to see how this really is going to lead and impact our businesses. And then Sunday morning would be a little bit more on the the soft side. And then um, Sunday afternoon is going to be, what's our key activities? How do we go from our values to our technical and soft skills, to what are the next actions? What are the steps that we are going to take to make this a livable, practicable activity in our life? And I love that. And I think being able to be outdoors, I know for me, and I'm sure for everybody, I I feel like if you can combine, you know, learning online and soaking in the information and then going and really experiencing it in the outdoors, you're going to soak that in so much better. Right. And there is actually quite a bit of adult learning theory and even child learning theory associated with um, that combination being very powerful, where we're really um, using that imagery to drive that home and absorb that and then also be able to take that practice forward with us. So there's 
it, it's not just something that feels good. Mm-hmm. It's actually founded in learning theory. Yeah. And well, I mean, you're engaging all your senses, you know, you're, you're mm-hmm. outside, you've got, you know, you're feeling, you're smelling, you're seeing, you know, so it's so much, you mm-hmm. know, exposure on the senses that you're able to absorb it so much better. And then it goes back to, you know, some people learn better one way than others. There's one sense is stronger than others. So in that type of an environment with all the senses being, you know, developed, they're able to retain that so much more. Exactly. I love that. Yep. Yep. So making sure that we're um, making that a whole experience. That's exciting. I'm excited for you. And you said that you're going to launch that in two weeks. So the first segment will be ready in two weeks. Yes. Okay. So it's, let's see, it's July the 2nd today. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Well, I would say that there will be a lot of people that's very interested in learning more about that. And I will make sure that um, Angela's information is in, in the details of the podcast and, um, Angela, I've enjoyed having you on here today and I'd love to do this again. I would love to talk to you again once you, you know, have your, you know, strength in nature going for a little bit to see how it's going and see what you, you've learned from it. Cause that's, what's so funny is, you know, people that create these programs and I, and I'm, I'm one that does this the same way. I learn every single time, you know what I mean? I'm teaching, I'm teaching what I already know, but during the experience, I learned something else. And it's, it's exciting. You know, every time I try to put something together, I just want to research a little bit more. And so now I'm del- delving into truly like hardcore research, um, polls and surveys and human psychology and, and neuroscience just to make sure that we have the right statistic. So every single time, it, it's just a little bit more to learn. So that's, that's awesome. And that's I think this right. is a good timing for it too, because I think people need you know, something to focus on, to be able to peel back what's been going on and really deal with it. And the idea of encouraging them to get outside and, and be in nature and start to, you know, let those cortisol levels drop. I think this is the perfect time to do so because, you know, stress is, stress is, is the enemy for sure. (laughs) Stress is definitely the enemy. I mean, we're fighting a virus, but if we can help ourselves, we can help our bodies. So Absolutely. It, that matters and it helps our business, right? Absolutely. So, so. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. So I will get all the details and the podcast episode and we will talk to you shortly. Thanks everybody. Right. Thanks all so right. much, Maria. Have a good day. Stay safe. Favorites, favorites. <laughs> you better, better tell them who's the boss, me.